Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We're going to look at um, a scripture passage in a moment, but I want to have three things in your head. I want you to think about a sponge, my sister, and I'm writing this down because God's just kind of putting this on my heart and I'm going with the flow of it. In Texas, hold them. Now, I got a mmm for some people. You bet you didn't get to hear a Texas Hold'em story to illustrate Scripture today, but welcome to church. <laughs> we talk about love today. In the Global Methodist Church, the denomination we're part of, the mission statement is, we are part of the mission is to make disciples for Jesus Christ who, not that, who, because it's a person who worship passionately, we've talked about that for the last couple of weeks, who love extravagantly and who witness boldly. In the last two weeks, we were unpacking what are the personal and communal applications to worshiping passionately. Today, we look at the personal implications of what it means to love extravagantly. And next week, we'll look at the corporate or communal thing of what it means to love extravagantly. But before we ever get to the scripture... I want to um, sort of set the stage for where, where we're going to go. And we'll start with this, the sponge. The sponge is dry, and if I take this sponge, I've been using it for several weeks, um, actually the last two weeks. Uh, there's a sponge in the sanctuary. There's now a sponge here. If I take that sponge and put it in any liquid, and it's going to soak up what's around it, right? If I put it in a glass of clean water, it'll soak up the clean water. If I take it and someone has spilled some Kool-Aid or some soda of some kind that has sugar or, or something, then it's going to soak that up. A lot of times we'll have it by the sink and we'll rinse it out like this real tight, but we'll wipe up whatever's spilled. But how many of you have ever noticed that if a sponge goes unclean and unattended, it is not a pleasant aroma? Sometimes what I like to do is take the sponge of the sink and I'll literally pour half of the Clorox cleaner in the bottle with hot water and submerse it. Think, oh, it's just going to clean everything out. My wife, Sean, puts it in the dishwasher, actually. It cleans it out. You see, you and I are sponges because we absorb whatever is around us, and it becomes part of who we are. And when pressure happens and the world grips us, what is inside of us comes out of us. And what we want to look at in Scripture today is, what have you absorbed in your understanding of love? I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. I love his work. And C.S. Lewis said this. He said, love is a state not of the emotions, but of the will. I had one commentator who expressed this about the difference between emotion and will, and I'll look right down the front row where I see a group of people, one, two, three, four, and I know several of them from being with them on Wednesday night and a few of them out there, a few of them over here, that when mom says, go clean your room, your emotion is not, 
Oh, that's wonderful. What were the words of the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I get to clean my room right now. Right? Y'all don't do that, do you? No. But if your mother says to you, you better clean your room or something's not going to happen, your will overtakes your emotion and you do what you're supposed to do. And what Lewis, I think, is trying to say is our emotion is not where love is rooted biblically. And then I stumbled across a woman named Christina Hale. She has written a lot of work about C.S. Lewis's work. And specifically, she sets the stage for us of understanding where does this concept of love, how we define love, where does that come from in the world around us today? Biblically, when we move to 1 John in a moment, we forget there was a context. In the context against which John, probably the Apostle John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles, that would have been the prevailing Greek thought. So we think today, in some ways, the world around us, oh, they never dealt with that back then. Friends, we are so arrogant in what we think we know today. The problems and the struggles and the tensions between a philosophical worldview and a biblical worldview have existed for centuries before you and I ever showed up. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. In this quote, you're going to hear a reference to Aphrodite. In the writing of John, the worldview context would have been dominated culturally by the Greek understanding of gods. And so Aphrodite was the god of pleasure in all the ways you think about that. And so listen to what Christina Hale says. It's impossible to ignore the rut that has been formed in our idea of love even in Christian circles, we must recover a biblical view of love. It is crucial, and we will have to work at it. Christians cannot bow the knee at the altar of Aphrodite. We cannot bow the knee at the altar of all that the culture says, this is what love is. If it, make, if it makes you feel good, do it. Anything that is, is what you want emotionally, just do that. I love this line, she must be unveiled. Aphrodite must be unveiled and all her travesties unmasked. We are fighting for a biblical definition of love, but this fight can only be successful if we first understand and embody that definition ourselves. We must first take the battle ax to the hall of mirrors that we are living in, shattering the sarcophagus of our self-idolatry. Girl can write, hmm? When we can see beyond ourselves, our aim will be better. Remember that the word sin comes from the same root in archery that means to miss the mark. So when you sin, you're missing the mark of what God designed and desires for you to do. And then she goes on to say, and maybe, just maybe our children will walk through the ruins of the fallen temple of Aphrodite, no longer remember that it once had a name. I love that imagery that we could so personally embody what God wants for us that the culture would be diminished and God's desire would be enhanced. She concludes by saying this, true love forgets the self and seeks the loved object's good and glory, all subject to the will of God. C.S. Lewis said, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. So when we think about the contrast of what a biblical view of love is, 
I wanted to first set the stage to recognize we all sort of soak up everything around us in the world, and we've picked up some bad habits and some bad and unhealthy understandings. Now, in respect to God's Word, I'm going to invite you to stand now as I do read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. If you're following in your Bible, it's at the back. If you go to Jude, you've gone too far. If you've gone to Galatians, you haven't gone far enough. Okay? To back to the right. You're going to read verse 10 with me when we get to it. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That all sounds really good, doesn't it? Here is the hinge pen, and you are going to read this verse, the next two verses we read together. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And verse 19 says, we love because God first loved us. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let's bow briefly for prayer. God, as we move into this moment of understanding what the scripture means and its claim upon our lives, I pray that your spirit would come and stand between me and your people so that you would show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant, and your goodness in your grace, and your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love. Amen. Three words biblically for love that would help our understanding. Three words primarily used in the Bible. The first is agape. It's a selfless kind of love. It's the love in the word used in John chapter 3, verse 16, which many know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's also the same word agape that is used here in 1 John and throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the selfless love of God. The second word that's used in the Greek in the biblical terms is phileo. Uh, it also has a phila. And so if you think about the city of brotherly love, it's Philadelphia. And then um, the third word that's used in the New Testament Greek is called storge. It's kind of a family and affectionate love. And it's really crazy. In one place in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, both phileo and storge are pulled together. And it's called philostorgius. And what it says is this. We are commanded to be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. So it combines both of those thoughts together. Now, when we get to Easter, after Easter, we're going to unpack in John chapter 21 the questions that Jesus asked Peter on the shore of Galilee after his resurrection. Peter's gone back to fishing, and Jesus is going to ask Peter, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, I phileo you. And so you're going to learn more about what that difference is when we're asked, do you have a selfless love for me? Because it's kind of a, well, yeah, I love you, Lord, but I got a few holdbacks. Or I got uh, some conditions, or there's an asterisk. And what Christ is asking for us is just that absolute 
selfless love. The sponge and the sister. My sister's name, uh, oldest sister, is Janie. Janie was the first police officer in College Station. She was nicknamed the, the dirt first, I'm sorry, first female officer in College Station. Yeah, not the first officer. <laughs> she's really old. Uh, she's older than me, but not that old. Um, and they called her the dirt dauber because on her first call out, if you know College Station, you know a lot of times you get on those roads and all the water in the bar ditches, and she had to chase a guy down into a bar ditch, and they came out and they were both covered with mud. So they called her the dirt dauber. So you come back to Wichita Falls, where I was a junior in high school, uh, starting in my junior year, and at the parsonage, there were two oak trees, each about this big around. We were shooting baskets in the back, and um, we were talking about my sister, and she came out, and they said, oh man, that's so cool, your sister's a cop. I said, yeah, she's a police officer, she's a cop, but she couldn't take me. And she said, uh, really? I said, really? Bring it, you think you can take me? Uh, she, not only did she take me, uh, she first went in to get her handcuffs. She handcuffed me to one of the oak trees in the backyard and then walked inside. And there I sat, handcuffed to the oak tree, my buddy shooting baskets just laughing at me. Do you know what that does to the psyche of a young boy who is a junior in high school? It was pretty embarrassing when throughout the neighborhood, all you heard was my mother saying the following, Janie, go out there and uncuff your brother from the tree, which she eventually did. I went inside. I was mad. I was so mad. Uh, did I mention it was Thanksgiving? <laughs> what do we do at Thanksgiving? Do we tend to all get around this big table? I wasn't going. I wasn't going down to the, to the table for dinner no matter what until I heard the sound of God on the lips of my mother say, James Burton Palmer Jr., you get down here now. It was a split-level staircase, and I went down to the first landing and bent down, and I could kind of see across the ceiling, and I was looking because I didn't want to have anything to do with my sister. Nothing. Nothing. I was still mad. I snuck down the stairs. And when you got to the bottom of the staircase, you faced a hallway and there was a door. And so I was so focused on making sure she wasn't coming out of that door. Uh, what I didn't know is there was a closet, a very small closet that she would fit in adjacent to the bottom of the staircase. And when I hit the bottom floor of that pier and beam house on Berkeley Street in Wichita Falls, it had a parquet floor, and it was pier and beam. So, Kirk Craddock, what do floors that are pier and beam that have parquet floors do? They squeak. <laughs> I made the left-hand turn, wanting to avoid her. And suddenly from behind, she slipped out of the closet, and she grabbed me. Did I tell you she was a police officer? She knew how to lock her arms. Uh, she wasn't going anywhere, and she said to me, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I love you. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He doesn't need to have apologies. He doesn't need to do anything, but here's what he does. Like my sister, he waits for the opportunity to move up behind you, to throw his arms around you, to say, I love you. I love you so deeply. This is what's the image biblically of what personal love is, to know 
that God so loved us that the model for that love is that he sent his son to us. That while we would even reject or want to have nothing to do with him, that kind of grace that just sort of sneaks up behind you and throws its arms around you. That's the kind of love that Christ has for you. And until you receive that personally and embrace that, then you're going to live into what John Wesley calls the almost Christian. Wesley said going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Avoiding things like drinking doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, doing good deeds doesn't make you a Christian. Not doing certain things doesn't make you a Christian. John Wesley said years ago, echoing the Scripture's truth, the only thing that makes you a Christian is faith in Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, on a personal level, until each one of us allows ourselves to be found by God's love and the Holy Spirit and respond with faith in Christ, it will be, an, this church as a community of faith will not be able to go places together that every one of us is not willing to go personally in that relationship. But I'm already seeing fruit being born as people are falling in love and allowing themselves to be embraced by Christ. Sponge a sister and Texas Hold'em. I didn't quite understand why Texas Hold'em was on ESPN when I was watching it. But um, my wife is from Arkansas and knows a lot about cards. And she explained the game to me because I couldn't understand why would this guy over here bet if he's only got a 7% chance. And she explained to me, uh, they're showing you everybody else's cards. They don't know what each other have. So... Um, it was fascinating. I started to get in tune with it and understand what was going on. And one guy had sort of a stack of chips, and, and his little thing said he had a 97% chance for win. So he put his hands behind all of his chips, and he shoved all of his chips to the very middle, and then he said, all in. In other words, at that moment, what he was saying is, whatever's here, whatever's on the table, I'm all in. I'm all in for whatever's going to happen. Friends, when we come to the table of communion, when you think about your relationship with God, when you think about the scripture, the love of Christ is God saying for you, I am all in. Whether you say yes to me, whether you respond to me or not, I'm all in for you. I'm here for you. I want a relationship with you. You see, we understand love not because of something we have experienced unless it's from the grace of God. We are a sponge. We soak up what's around us. And if we have not allowed ourselves to be in God's presence and to soak up his love, then when the pressures of this world or circumstances squeeze us, there's nothing but ourselves. But when we allow God's love to fill us, when those pressures come, God's love flows out and around. At the end of service today, we're going to have somebody come and join the church. For years, um, what we do is say, oh, you love Jesus? Oh, come on in, come on in. One of the beautiful things about the Global Methodist Church is every person who is a member will be asked some of the historic questions. Do you repent of your sin? Do you believe in Christ? And do you believe in the scriptures? Then will you be loyal to the church? I help write the, um, an alternate kind of liturgy. We, we all get together this week. And by the way, Stacy Sweet will be ordained a deacon and an elder Saturday in College Station. Clint Wiley will be ordained a deacon. I will be emailing you this. Yes, praise God. And I will be emailing you a link this week where if you can't make it to College Station or your burnt orange won't let you cross that, the county line in Highway 6, you can watch it online. But every one of us is clergy as we step into membership, 
in the Global Methodist Church officially through a convening conference, every one of his clergy will say, do we repent of our sin? Do we profess faith in Jesus Christ? Do we believe God is revealed in the scriptures? And we'll say yes to that. I just want to ask if you ever said yes to that. Unwaveringly and without reservation said yes to God who loves you. If you never have, then when Maya comes up after the closing song, think about coming up if you'd like to, or more importantly, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you, and so would Stacy, so would Clint, with any of us. We'd love to talk with you about that. Your sponge, what are you soaking up? Christ is all in for you. Are you all in for him? Let's pray together. God, as we come to this table of communion, we ask that by your presence and power, you would transform these ordinary elements into your body, into your blood. Symbols of your love for us, because we know as we share in them, they are still ordinary elements of bread and grape juice, but it's what they represent in your saying, I'm all in for you. I love you. So God bless this table of communion, that as we receive these elements, we would be the body and blood of Christ, the world. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry together until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at this heavenly banquet. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, remembering that Jesus said, when you pray and follow me, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.